Hey, it's Nathan, and this is day 16 of the Bible in 90 Days. We are in the book of Joshua. In fact, day 16 and 17 will be devoted to the book of Joshua. We'll, in fact, cover the entire book in that time frame. The book of Joshua finds us at two very important inflection points. First, Moses has led the children of Israel since shortly before the Exodus, and in the book of Joshua, we find them under new leadership. Second, the demographics have changed dramatically since our time in the book of Exodus. It's 40 years later, and it's the children of the Exodus, not their parents, whom we now find encamped on the borders of Canaan, the promised land, with just a river, the Jordan, between them. So let's get started. Joshua chapter 1 records Joshua being installed as Israel's new leader. Here are some of the lines related to his installment. And I quote, After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses' aid, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now, now then, you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I am about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot, as I promised Moses. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. For the Lord, your God, will be with you wherever you go. Then the command is given to prepare to cross the Jordan. And the people respond, and I quote, Just as we fully obeyed Moses, so we will obey you. Chapter 2, and you must read this chapter, records the story of Rahab and the spies. Two spies are sent in to check things out. Remember, many years before, like 38 years before, 12 spies were sent in. Well, this time only two spies are sent in to check things out. They're especially going to um, check out the city of Jericho. Rahab, a prostitute, lives in that city. She protects the spies by hiding them from the local authorities and is in turn promised protection. So long as a certain scarlet cord is dangling from her wall side window during the assault on, Jerus uh, excuse me, on Jericho. In the course of the conversation, Rahab had observed, and I quote, The Lord has given you this land and a great fear of you has fallen on us. All who live in this country are melting in fear. And then she recounted all the stories they'd heard. And as we've gone through the text, Exodus, etc., you've heard in the course of this reading many of those stories as well. Chapter 3, and this is another chapter to read. It's the exciting story of Israel crossing the Jordan River during its harvest flood stage. The priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant stepped into the river and instantly an invisible barrier formed, damming the upstream waters which backed up nearly to Zarethan while allowing the downstream waters to keep flowing toward the Dead Sea. 
The priests stopped in the middle of the river and the people crossed on dry ground. Chapter 4 continues the story of the crossing with 12 men, one from each tribe, being selected to carry 12 stones from the middle of the river where the priests and the ark were. These stones were piled up as a monument to inspire the retelling of the story for future generations. Those who crossed included about 40,000 armed men from the tribes of Reuben, Gad, and the half-tribe of Manasseh, whose families had stayed behind on the other side of the Jordan. Chapter 5 tells us they named their first campsite in Canaan Gilgal, which sounds like the Hebrew for roll, because, and I quote, Today, God said, I have rolled away the reproach of Egypt from you. It was here that all the men born during the wilderness wandering were circumcised. Here as well, the Passover is celebrated. One brief but important incident in chapter 5 is right near the end, when Joshua meets a warrior with a drawn sword. Joshua asks the warrior, Are you for us or for our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Joshua is then instructed to take off his sandals. The incident is strikingly similar to the experience of Moses at the burning bush where he, Moses, received his call to leadership. Chapter 6 records the army following the priests who carry the Ark of the Covenant marching around the city of Jericho six days in a row. On the seventh day, they marched seven times ending with a mighty trumpet blast and shout, and the walls crumbled. After the rescue of Rahab and her family, the city and everything in it were destroyed. Only the metals, iron, bronze, etc., were spared and put into the temple treasury. Chapter 7 tells the tragic story of Achan, who took some of the forbidden loot for himself. It cost the army a humiliating defeat at the assault of Ai, the next battle, a smaller nearby town, that is Ai, which they attacked after Jericho, was a smaller town, and they lost. Achan is discovered in a solemn process, and he and his family are destroyed. Chapter 8 records that Ai is again attacked and this time overcome via a strategic ambush. Then the people carried out the instructions for renewing the covenant with half the people on Mount Gerizim and the other half on Mount Ebal, where Joshua had instructed, excuse me, where Joshua had constructed the altar of sacrifice. Then Joshua read all the words written in the book of the law to the people. That solemn recommitment, by the way, was, was described in Deuteronomy around chapter 27, 28, and here in chapter 8 of Joshua, it records for us that it was carried out. Chapter 9 records that the people of Gibeon, having heard of Israel's conquests, prepared a deception to save themselves and their people. Through this deception, they persuaded Joshua to make peace with them. They succeeded. Though when their subterfuge was soon after discovered, their people were compelled to become heavy laborers, supplying wood and water for the tabernacle service. Chapter 8, excuse me, chapter 10, and again, you should read this chapter, <clears throat> records that the kings of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon joined for forces to attack Gibeon. 
the city and its people who had recently made peace with Israel. The Israelite army marches all night to defend the besieged town. The army of Israel laid chase to the gathered forces who scattered under supernatural confusion and even giant hailstones, so that many died by both sword and hail. As the battle raged, Joshua made a daring command. He told the sun to stand still so the battle could continue. And it did. And here is a a word from scripture. The sun stopped in the middle of the sky and delayed going down about a full day. There has never been a day like it before or since, a day when the Lord listened to a human being. Surely the Lord was fighting for Israel. What a story. Again, I told you, you've got to read chapter 10, an incredible story. Israel's army stayed on the move, taking city after city before returning to the camp at Gilgal. Chapter 11 describes the northern kings joining forces to defeat Israel. Instead, they are totally defeated. And I quote, so Joshua took the entire land just as the Lord had directed Moses, and he gave it as an inheritance to Israel according to their tribal divisions. Then the land had rest from war. It should be noted, this conquest of Canaan had been carried out under specific divine directions to leave no person alive. And this had been done because of the irreparable, excuse me, irreparably savage nature of its inhabitants. The text notes, it was the Lord himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally. By the way, this hardening was not God um, um, in a, an arbitrary way just making those people resist him. It's just that when God showed up, the people resisted. And because they resisted, it created some serious problems as they continued to become more wicked and resist his effort to bring about a righteous civilization. Again, it must be noted that this was not wanton destruction. That is, the Israelite conquest was not wanton destruction, one savage people against another, rather a focused, purposeful removal of people groups whose corruption had become so absolute that it threatened the very fabric of civilization. Chapter 12 is a detailed list of the defeated kings. Chapter 13 begins with a list of the areas still to be conquered. This is followed by a description of the land east of the Jordan, where the half-tribe of Manasseh, along with the Reubenites and Gadites, had settled. Our last chapter, chapter 14, another chapter you need to read, begins with the division of the lands west of the Jordan. Then there's a very special note about Caleb, and this is the part you really want to read. One of the original spies, remember 38 some years ago, there were 12 spies. Caleb was one of those who originally spied out Canaan and had given a positive, hopeful report to the people. That man is 45 years, excuse me, that man 45 years later is now 85 years old. And he asks for the best and toughest land to be given him to conquer the hill country, because he believed that God would help him do it. So 38 years before a man of faith, and now 38 years later at 85, he is still a man of strong faith. Quite an an exciting story. See you in the next episode.